0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode
1: is sponsored by Unity.org. Discover the transformative power of inner voice, a tarot deck of affirmations. Explore your true self, seek guidance, and find empowerment through ancient wisdom and modern insight. To learn more, visit
0: go.unity.org
1: forward slash tarot. Let's jazz it up. Let's all get together now. Welcome to the Laura Theodore Podcast.
0: You may know me from my popular television show, Jazzy Vegetarian, where I feature easy and delicious vegan recipes, along with tips for living a kinder plant based life. Now I invite you to join me here each week, where I'll welcome amazing guests to share upbeat and informative conversations. Featuring motivational lifestyle advice and nutritional guidance, plus lots of jazzy delicious recipe ideas. It's all served up with sensational music on the side. Music. So let's get talking. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Laura Theodore. I'm so pleased to be here today because we have a very interesting, important, and educational hour in store for you. Very, very honored guest, president and co founder of Farm Sanctuary, Jean Bauer, who will discuss our challenging times in relation to how we connect with animals. He will share information about the strong maternal bond between farm animal mothers and their babies, along with how Farm Sanctuary continues to provide a space of calm and refuge. So I want to get right to the show. It's now my great honor to welcome Gene Bauer. He's president and co-founder of Farm Sanctuary, America's premier farm animal sanctuary and advocacy organization. Jean has traveled extensively around the country, campaigning to raise awareness about the abuses of industrialized factory farming and our current food system. Credited with initiating passage of the first U.S. laws to prohibit cruel farming methods and winning the first ever cruelty conviction at a U.S. stockyard. He is author of two national best selling books, and they are both fantastic books Farm Sanctuary, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food. And Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, the ultimate guide to eating mindfully, living longer, and feeling better every day. And uh, I'd like to welcome him to this program right now. How are you today, Gene?
2: Hello, I am doing great, and I'm really happy to be with you.
0: I'm so happy that you're here with us again today. It's been a long time since we talked. For those that are not, uh, you know, Knowing about Farm Sanctuary before this program today, what are Farm Sanctuary's three guiding principles? Talk a little bit about that, if you would, please.
2: Well, we work to expose the cruelty of factory farming. We actually started back in 1986 to document what was happening on farms. And we found living animals literally thrown in trash cans or left on piles of dead animals. So we started rescuing them. And so the rescue is part of what we do when we have sanctuaries. Uh, We also do education where we want to encourage people to understand more about their food system and also understand more about who these animals are. You know, once you get to know a chicken or a pig or a turkey or a cow, you know, as a friend, it's harder to see them as a piece of food. And the animals at Farm Sanctuary are our friends. They're not our food. And people have a chance to interact with them and to give pig belly rubs, for example. And it's wonderful to walk up to a 500-pound pig, touch their tummy, and watch them flop over for a belly rub. Uh, We have turkeys that follow you around in the barnyard like puppy dogs. We have sheep who love to be petted with by people, and so you'll pet them, and then when you stop petting them, they'll paw at you like a cat or a dog saying, Tom, keep petting me. So these animals are not that different than cats and dogs, so we try to educate people about that and also about the cruelty of factory farming, and then we advocate for changes in the food system. We've worked to pass some of the first laws in this country to prohibit the inhumane confinement of animals in small cages and crates where they can't even move. Um, And we've also worked to change um, how some restaurants uh, serve people, and we've urged them to serve plant-based foods instead of animal foods. And in fact, we went to our local Burger King back in the early 1990s, and they started the BK Veggie, which has now been sort of eclipsed by the impossible whopper, the veggie burger that's sold at Burger King. But yeah. we also try to change the food system. So we do rescue work, we do education work, and we do advocacy work.
0: Changing that food system is obviously what I am, you know, involved with a hundred percent of the time, what I'm dedicated to, because I feel that of course the work that you're doing is so important, so incredible, so brave, so just just amazing. But I feel in my own little way, helping people to learn to enjoy and to prefer plant-based foods really is our mission overall. One
2: of the main things that we can do to help farm animals is to encourage people to eat plants instead of animals. The reason that billions of animals suffer so terribly is to serve this consumer demand. And so as soon as that demand starts shifting, I, I think that animals and in fact, the earth and even farmers and farm workers will be better off. Um, but, but food is mm-hmm. very important. Yeah. And I, I really am grateful for the work you are doing to show people that vegan food is tasty, it is satisfying, uh, and you really don't miss anything when you eat plant foods instead of animal foods.
0: You really don't miss anything. And more and more, of course, uh, options being available, not only in our local supermarket, but now that so many people are shopping online, there are incredible, incredible places online where you can get so many different plant-based foods and you can make it taste just like the spaghetti you normally serve your family or the chili you normally serve your family or the lasagna you normally serve your your family, the whole idea is if you just use the same spices, the same herbs, and then substitute the plant-based cheese, plant-based meat, etc., no one's even going to know the difference. I can't tell you how many times I've served these things you know, in the past, and people say, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's vegan. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, food system. We're going to really get into it later on in the program, Gene. So first, how can people help by adopting a farm animal? at farmsanctuary.org.
2: Yes. Well, we take care of animals rescued from abusive situations, and one way that people can help us with this is to adopt a farm animal. And this is by sponsoring an animal or animals to live at the sanctuary, which costs a certain amount per month. They help us to care for these animals and to allow them to live out wonderful lives at these sanctuaries. Um, now, in terms of, like, the mother... Uh, baby relationship, you know, most people don't recognize or really think that much about the lives of animals in the factory farming system. And our our sanctuaries are in New York, and California, which are both very large dairy producing states. And because they are dairy states, we have many unwanted baby calves that are born on dairy farms. In order for a cow to have milk, she has to have a baby, and they are taken away at birth. And unfortunately, in animal agriculture, that is a common practice where you have babies taken from their mothers. You know, in the case of the dairy industry, it's because they want the milk to be sold for human consumption. But in the case of like the, the, the pork industry, for example, the babies are taken away to be fattened for slaughter and killed at only six months old. While the mother is re-impregnated and she lives her life in a two-foot wide crate. She, she's basically seen as a, a baby-making machine. Uh, And then it's impregnated again. And then shortly after giving birth, the babies are taken away again. So this is the common industry practice. And it's heartbreaking. It's it's stressful both for the babies and for the mothers. And, you know, at Farm Sanctuary, we allow animals to stay together. We allow families to stay together. We do not breed the animals, so we do not uh, impregnate them so they have babies. But occasionally animals will come to us. Pregnant, and they will give birth at the sanctuary, and then those the mothers and babies get to stay together. Recently, we were able to uh, participate in a rescue in Southern California where a baby was born at the slaughterhouse, and the slaughterhouse owner did not want to kill the mother and the baby, so he allowed these animals to come to farm sanctuary. So there are events like that that happen from time to time where somebody, even in the industry, sort of softens their heart, opens their heart up, and does something nice for individual animals. And and in the case of this mother and baby, um, their names are Liberty and Indigo. Um, They were allowed to come to Farm Sanctuary where they will be allowed to live out their lives.
0: Wow, what a touching, touching story. I think that often we don't think about the mother-baby relationship. I mean, certainly I do, but it was first- brought really to my attention many many years ago you and I talked when I read your first book um, you talked about just that and I shared this with you I guess probably about 10 years ago on this on this very program but it but it came to mind when we when I was setting up my questions for today's show and when I was a little girl I used to spend time on my aunt and uncle's dairy farm and of course I just loved cows and I didn't quite connect the meat and the cow. I I don't know why or how, but I didn't. And I remember one day I was walking about the farm and I looked, there was this little kind of shack and uh, it was very, very tiny. It almost looked like a big dog house, as I recall, or a big dog barn. And I looked in and there was a baby calf in there in the dark. And until the day I read your book, I never connected why that baby calf was in that dark barn. But then I I let myself realize it. And I think that's something that we all want to think about, don't you think?
2: Yeah, well, I think most people want to be compassionate and they want to be humane. But at the same time, most people are unwittingly supporting this cruel industry through their food choices. So I think in some cases, people do want to be humane and would want to know but in other cases, sometimes people say, don't tell me, I don't want to know, because they have a feeling that it's problematic and they're afraid of change or they're afraid they're not going to be able to change. So that is one of the issues that we wrestle with on a regular basis is how do you communicate in a way that people are going to be able to open their eyes and to think about these issues without mm-hmm. getting defensive, without feeling bad about themselves, with also without feeling defeated because, you know, one of the biggest obstacles for change is that people are afraid that they can't do it, that they cannot succeed. And we grow up being bombarded with messages that, for example, we need meat for protein, which is completely a myth. You know, we can do very well and perform at a very high level athletically on plant foods. And there's a movie called um, Game Changers, by the way, about high level athletes, Performing very well on a plant-based diet, but we're also grown up told that for calcium we need to drink cow's milk. Uh, otherwise, we're going to have calcium deficiency and we might get osteoporosis. But in countries like the United States, where we drink a lot of cow's milk, we also have a lot of osteoporosis. So if you just look at the empirical evidence, it's clear that you know we do not need to eat animal products, and that we can in fact thrive on a plant-based diet, but we grow up believing otherwise, and so that is one of the myths that I think it's important for us in the plant-based movement to address and and also to demonstrate that we can live well and we can thrive without harming other animals. And and once people understand that, uh, I think they're less afraid of change, and then it comes down to providing recipes and tools like you do so well to empower people to eat in a healthier way that doesn't cause harm to other animals. But it's also good for ourselves, you know, because eating animal foods the way we do in the United States is causing enormous harm, causing over a hundred billions of dollars in healthcare costs every year. Um, And so we could prevent diseases to ourselves. We could prevent the suffering of animals and we could also lighten our ecological footprint by eating plants, instead of animals. In the United States, 10 times more acreage is used for animal agriculture versus plant-based agriculture. And unfortunately, the same sort of trend and the same sort of destruction is happening around the world. In the Amazon, for example, we have rainforests being cut down so that farm animals can either graze or so we grow soy and other crops to feed farm animals. So we can feed a lot more people with less land and fewer resources through plant-based agriculture. So you know, there's all the reasons that make a lot of sense. But but one of the big obstacles again is fear and 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 giving people the tools and the support to be empowered to eat in a way that is healthier and more aligned with their own humane values and their own interests instead of eating food that makes us sick.
0: So beautifully said. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's why you are Jean Bauer and I am not. Absolutely amazing. Uh, I do want to comment the earlier part of that last statement. That's part of what's going on from when we first had conversations, uh, you and I, that now there are so many different plant-based milks that you can get. You can order them online. And it's it's just incredible because originally I remember when I first st- stopped eating dairy uh, ingredients as, as well as you did you know you could not certainly get any plant-based milk in the refrigerated department you could only get it in the uh, you know aseptic little aseptic containers it was only soy milk now you can get every kind of plant-based milk that you possibly could ever imagine and it's all there in the supermarket so it really does make it a lot of easier to tackle a plant-based diet than it was even five years ago. What do you say about that?
2: Oh, that is absolutely true. And in fact, you even have large dairy companies now starting to invest in plant-based milk. And I think that's very positive. But yeah, back in the 1980s, when I went vegan for soy milk, we used to have to mix powder with water to make soy milk. It was a lot harder back then. And now it's not just soy milk. It's also almond milk or coconut milk or oat milk or hemp milk. Um, you know, there's all kinds of different alternatives to cow's milk, and there are even some companies there's one in New York, for example, that I'm aware of that used to be historic dairy that has now transitioned and is only doing plant-based milk, usually out of like walnuts and other kinds of nuts. But you know there, there's these really good indicators of change where you have businesses and innovators who are recognizing that things are changing. And the bottom line is that we can feed more people in a healthier way without causing harm by shifting away from animal exploitation and animal agriculture to plant-based agriculture. And um, it's it's a very exciting time for the the vegan movement. It's a very exciting time to see these businesses now investing in, in solutions. You know, for for many years, we've talked about the the problems with factory farming, and we need to continue doing that and trying to stop the abuses. But we ultimately need to create solutions and opportunities for people in agriculture to make a living uh, by doing something that doesn't cause harm. You know, we we are not anti-farmer as vegans. We're anti-cruelty. And in fact, we want to work with farmers to create solutions that are good for everybody. And, And I think about farmers and I think about slaughterhouse workers as well, and how difficult those jobs are. Uh, and can you imagine what it would be like to work in a slaughterhouse where for eight hours a day, your job is cutting the throats of animals? It's horrendous. It's horrible. It, it really, it's harmful to people as well as it is to animals. And so I agree. ideally, yeah. we could start moving to a whole new food system. And, and there are some positive indications that we're starting to make steps in that direction.
0: We're with the incredible Jean Bauer, who's president and co-founder of Farm Sanctuary. Now, every Thanksgiving, I can't help it, but I feel really sad. And I think that, you know, one of the first things I started with many, 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 many years ago was not having turkey on Thanksgiving. So I hope you could maybe share just a, a little bit about how Americans and celebrate Thanksgiving in a wonderful way, not miss anything, but really be more mindful about it.
2: Yes. Well, you know, Thanksgiving is a very difficult holiday for vegetarians and for people who care about animals. And so in 1986, we felt, you know, what can we do instead? And we came up with the Adopt a Turkey Program, Well, where people can adopt a turkey who lives at farm sanctuary and who will be allowed to live out their lives. And we send a picture of the turkey that they're helping us to care for. And so now they're saving a turkey instead of eating one for the holiday. And it's been one of our most successful ongoing programs. And people love it because it is something to look forward to at Thanksgiving instead of dreading that holiday where you have millions of turkeys who are being killed and then are the centerpiece of people's meals. And it's ironic that this is a holiday that's supposed to be about gratitude and giving thanks. And it's being done with the body of a dead bird in the middle of the table. So for vegetarians and vegans, you know, the Adopt a Turkey program, I think, is a wonderful alternative. And it's also something that can be used to educate others. You know, you can adopt a turkey and give that to a friend or family member. And hopefully through that process, people will start seeing these turkeys as living, feeling animals. Uh, They are, you know, they're not that different than cats and dogs in terms of their desire to live or to be friends with us instead of our food. So that's what Farm Sanctuary does. We try to get people to see farm animals as friends, not food. And when you think about it, um, in different parts of the world, some animals are seen as food. You know, in some parts of the world, people eat cats and dogs, for example. In other parts of the world, people don't eat pigs or cows. So which animals we see as friends or food are really quite arbitrary. And I think it's important for people just to understand that it's a choice that we have to make if we want to see somebody as a friend or food. And seeing animals as friends is actually better for us as well as for the animals. Why do you
0: think that we eat some animals, and love and cherish others, and it's different around the world. Where do you think that started, or how do you think that concept began?
2: You know, it's very hard to really know why habits formed the way they did, but I think that oftentimes these things come out of a utility, and, um, you know, cows can be used in certain ways. I mean, dogs are also eaten in some ways, but in different parts of the world, just different habits develop, and I really don't know why. Um, but once they develop and once there are businesses uh, created around them, you know, as we have in this country with factory farming, then there's a tendency to sort of codify and solidify these practices into law. And in the U.S., farm animals are excluded from basic humane laws. They're exempted, for example, from the Federal Animal Welfare Act. And so then you create these systems and structures that maintain the status quo. Uh, So I don't know how the status quo ultimately came to be, but I see the systems in place now that are continuing to propagate it, which is really problematic.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Wow. What an amazing conversation. We're speaking with Gene Bauer, who is the president and co-founder of Farm Sanctuary. You want to learn more about Gene Farm Sanctuary and his fantastic books and how you can help at farmsanctuary.org. That's farmsanctuary.org. Well, in closing with this conversation over the next five minutes, I'd love if you'd kind of give us an overview of what each of us can do, each person in the world to make, make the world a more compassionate place and a healthier place to live in, starting right here today.
2: You know, there are many things in this world that are outside of our control. So we have to accept that. But then we can focus on the things where we do have some control. And one of those things is what we decide to eat. And one of the most important things each of us can do every day is to make more mindful choices about our food and to choose plant foods as much as possible instead of animal foods, which is obviously going to protect animals, but it's also good for us and the environment. Um, And then if you can't go vegan overnight, just start taking steps in that direction. You know, you can do a meatless Monday, for example, where one day a week you don't eat meat. And by doing that, you start learning what types of recipes you like, what types of foods you like, and it's not that hard. Uh, for example, many ethnic foods are naturally plant-based because for most of human history, we've eaten primarily plants. Um, you can also do easy substitutions. So with spaghetti and meatballs, for example, you can just substitute plant-based meatballs instead of meatballs, and then you can have pretty much the same dish with a substitution. Um, or in the case of dairy products, there's more and more vegan cheese is now available, and there's all kinds of plant-based milk. So cereal in the morning, instead of using cow's milk, can easily use a plant-based milk. So changing how we eat can have profound impact. And then with those choices, we can educate others and show other people that, you know, eating plants is tasty, it is satisfying, it is nourishing, and we feel better about it because we don't have to participate in cruelty that we have to kind of close our eyes to.
0: Beautifully, beautifully said. Um, I I just can't thank you enough for being with us here today. I know you have uh, a busy schedule all the time. And I I am so thankful for all the work you've done this past many, many years in being at the forefront of this very important movement. And I just can't thank you enough. I hope we do it again. And I'm wishing good health and safety to you and your loved ones and your whole family. Thank you so much, Jean.
2: Thank you, Lord. Same to you, and thank you also for all the work you do to advance compassion in the world. It's something we need a lot more of, and I'm very grateful for everything you're doing.
0: Thank you so much. That's the incredible Gene Barr. Oh, he is just absolutely amazing. He is the author of two national best-selling books, Farm Sanctuary, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food. And you definitely do want to... uh, Pick up a copy of that. And then, of course, Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, The Ultimate Guide to Eating Mindfully, Living Longer and Feeling Better Every Day. And I was certainly honored to be a part of that book by contributing some recipes. And if you want to learn more about Gene and his books and certainly more about Farm Sanctuary and how you can help Farm Sanctuary, you just want to visit farmsanctuary.org. That's farmsanctuary.org. Of course, visit them on Twitter. Twitter and Facebook, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh, yeah, that was, man, that was amazing.
1: Vegan and delicious, my recipe of the week.
0: So, this recipe is fresh, it's fabulous, it's great for dessert, it's great for a snack, and it features ripe strawberries combined with a rich tasting cashew cream. Yeah. Really good. So uh, first you want to start off with your cashew vanilla cream, and this is a great cream to serve at any on any dessert, uh, whether it be some kind of a fruity dessert like this or a cake or a pie. Uh, it's very, very tasty. It's also good if you have a crisp or a, a crumble for breakfast. Really easy to do, too. Just a half a cup of chopped raw cashew, soaked, rinsed, and drained. Two tablespoons of maple syrup. Half a cup of water divided, plus more is needed. Half a teaspoon vanilla extract. And then your strawberries, two cups. About one pint of strawberries, halved. I want to take those little stems out, of course. Two tablespoons of maple syrup. A tablespoon of balsamic vinegar. I love the Papa Vince balsamic vinegar for this, by the way. Really, really good. And one tablespoon of chopped fresh mint, plus several sprigs of that fresh mint for serving. And if you don't have fresh mint, you actually can use uh, dried mint with this. Just use, oh, about a, really about a half a teaspoon is enough for this recipe. Uh, how do you soak cashews, do you ask? Well, that's what we're going to start with. We're going to put the raw cashews in a quarter cup water into a small bowl, refrigerate them for one to four hours, and then drain the cashews and rinse them really thoroughly in cold water. And then you're going to put your drained and soaked cashews and two tablespoons of maple syrup, one quarter cup of water and vanilla in a blender container, and then blend it for 30 seconds or until it's nice and smooth and creamy. And it's just going to look kind of like a, a regular dairy whipped cream. You're not going to believe it. It's just amazing if you haven't made this before. Then you're going to cover and refrigerate it for two hours until it's nice and cold. And then put the strawberries, two tablespoons maple syrup, vinegar, and the chopped mint into a medium-sized bowl. And then just gently stir that all to combine. And you want to cover and refrigerate that for about an hour because I like that nice balsamic vinegar to just seep into those strawberries and the tanginess of the vinegar with a nice sweet fresh taste of the strawberries man it is so good and to serve it you're just going to drizzle that wonderful cashew vanilla cream that you made right over the top of those strawberries i like to put them in individual bowls and garnish it with a mince sprig and serve, serve, serve. If, if you want, you can serve the strawberries right away after you put the balsamic vinegar on it, but I like it better after it's chilled for an hour, particularly if it's a hot day. So once again, that's from Vegan for Everyone, 160 family-friendly recipes with a delicious modern twist, and you can pick that up at jazzyvegetarian.com, Amazon, or wherever fine books are sold. Barnes & Noble has it too. Well, um, I want to play a little bit of a jazzy tune right now from my album with Joe Beck, the late, great Joe Beck. Love you, Joe. It's from our CD, Golden Earrings. And it's a little Why Don't You Do Right on the Wayland City Sound label. Why Don't You Do Right.
1: them. Some money too. Why don't you do right? Like my other men do. Like some other men do. Like some other men do.
0: And that's a little why don't you do? with the late, great Joe Beck and yours truly singing there on the Golden Earrings CD and that's on the Wailing City Sound label. Wailing City Sound has a lot of great jazz. You might want to check them out. A little Why Don't You Do Right from Golden Earrings. Well, I want to thank you again so much for listening and I hope you'll join us every Wednesday on Mind, Body, Spirit, FM for the Laura Theodore podcast. Until next time, be happy, be healthy, and be well. From me, Laura Theodore, a.k.a. The Jesse Vegetarian.